Welcome to another episode of The Lanyard, the podcast that goes deep with change makers, business leaders, and community builders. Here's your host, Ben Hanton. Hey, hey, everybody. It's a cold day in Yankton, but got another fun conversation today. I'm going to be talking with Kelsey Collierwise and Shannon Cole, both of Vermilion. Thanks for making the trip over. Thanks both of you have your shoulders swaying to this music. Yeah. Like Very, that. We're rocking it out. Yeah. So uh, I guess I should start off with the premise of why we were here. So I think, Kelsey, a couple months ago, you asked, hey, can I come observe your podcast sometime? And I got back to you and said, why don't we just record one with you? Yeah, which was awesome. So why did you want to observe the podcast? Well, so Shannon and I are both fans of podcasting. And when she was working at Vermilion's Bean Coffee Shop and I was officing there, we got a lot of conversations about we should start a podcast, as people do. That's something right. people say a lot, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so when we were talking, I was like, you know, Ben does a podcast. We should watch. We should see what he does because he's not like in, you know, in NPR's DC studios or something like that. And so I was just interested in the yeah. process. Yeah, well, cool. I appreciate that. Uh, a lot of people do ask about, as soon as you get a podcast, everybody wants to know how to do a podcast. Some people I've been pretty gracious with time with, and some others, it's kind of like they just want to instantly get there without doing any of the research or time. And so it's kind of a balance of, hey, I had to spend a lot of time and money getting going. And then some people who approach me are like, can you just get me to where you're at now? Like, no. <laughs> that takes time. Yeah. Well, hopefully our request was more respectful. Absolutely. That. Well, observing is always, always awesome. So I think before we get into what you're potentially looking at and some of your podcast questions, I thought we could get to know the two of you and what you're working on and a little bit more about Vermilion. I think I'd start with Shannon because I don't know you at all. I've known Kelsey a little bit. But Shannon, when I researched you on LinkedIn, it Ooh. told me that you were a proofreader at the Naval War College. Wow. Oh, yes. Yes, I was. In my former life, before I moved to Vermilion, I lived in Newport, Rhode Island, where I worked at Naval Station Newport. And for about 10 years, I worked as a proofreader in a little office called Desktop Publishing, which was in the basement. We were naval contractors. We were the literal peons of the big Navy system there. <laughs> and the War College was not a college for young people. Like it wasn't an you're 18 and in the Navy and you go to this college. It was for mid-career professionals who were looking to move up in rank. And so they would go to the War College to sort of develop strategic thinking, get a more global perspective. And there was an international office that actually would bring in naval officers from around the world. And so I worked in that building. Again, I didn't have much to do with the day-to-day -day operations of the War College, but I would I was in the same building as all of the international officers and I would get to like observe their families and when they had parties I could like go up and like a mouse like eat their their food afterwards. <laughs> um but we fancy parties. Yes, fancy parties. <laughs> and we um, my office was in charge of proofing everything that went like anything that ended up hanging on a wall or any of the like graduation ceremony programs or awards, things that the War College was going to be putting on display or yeah, making public. That the public would consume. Mm -hmm. And that included its quarterly journal, that included books, it had a press, so anything that went through the press. And basically, we were in charge of making sure the Navy wasn't embarrassing itself by spelling country names wrong or you know, <laughs> yeah. things like that, or asserting that there were X number of countries in NATO or X number of countries in the UN when really it was Y number or you know stuff like that. <laughs> so I imagine to get ready for that position, it took a lot of interest in writing 
in English and education in that department? Yes. So I got the job mostly because I had a master's degree in English, but I had no what they called experience with the naval platform. So I, I really had to take the job on the merit that I knew grammar and then like learn to speak Navy from there. How do we speak Navy? Teach <laughs> a me. lot of acronyms. Oh, okay. <laughs> what are a couple good acronyms? Oh, man. Well, the... The one that was in use when I first started, because I started under the Bush administration, the uh, George W. Bush administration, um, was GWAT. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me what a GWAT is. (laughs) G-W-O-T is the Global War on Terror. Oh, right. Yeah. So that one dropped out of use once the Obama. They used that a lot. Yeah. But it dropped out of use once the Obama administration came in because there was a very purposeful shift in language that I noticed um, between the two administrations. So GWAT kind of went away. And then we started talking about COIN, counterinsurgency operations, COIN. Speaking of COIN, tell me about the Admiral's COIN. What is that? Oh, (laughs) What a great segue. Um, I worked on a special project for the Naval War College Press where I, I, I tried to give them a lot of advice about how like they could update their sort of like presence and things that the press could be doing a little more modern. Anyway, I put a lot of work into it and it didn't quite come to fruition while I was there. But as a thank you, I was rewarded with what's called a coin. Every high ranking government official gets their own commemorative coin made and they they literally do use them as like a thank you currency. And so Uh my admiral's coin is from... Ha ha, I can't remember the admiral's name now. But um, it is his impressure and it's like specific to the Naval War College. It has like... The admiral's name and their design on it. And then on the flip side, it's the organization that they were stationed at at the time. And so I have one, but there's people who worked at the War College who had like actual racks of like 20 of these things from different commands. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know the names of any admirals except for John McCain's dad and then (laughs) David Robinson of the San Antonio Spurs. Right. (laughs) What was funny about the War College is we were, um, because we were run by an admiral, we were considered a landlocked ship. (laughs) <laughs> so it was it was a ship and like all the floors were called decks. So like the women's head was on the second deck, but like it was the floor of the building. Yes. But you you couldn't talk about it. That was like that was part of speaking navy was And you were a civilian. Yep. Right. So yeah. did getting out was that a good thing or did you kind of miss it? Um I miss the feeling of being connected to something. Like I really did sort of feel like I had my finger on the pulse of what was happening happening globally like between reading about strategy and policy coming across my desk. And these were real world things. I mean, some of the articles that we were proofing were like from an admiral in Korea, sort of like writing this article about the the precious relationship of Korea and Japan these days, because there's this there was a great amount of animosity between those countries before. And so it was literally like a plea for like, let's stay friends, you know, but it was very coded. Like, that's the kind of stuff that we were doing was like messages that didn't seem to have a lot of importance. But if you were in the know enough, they really were impactful. So I felt like I was going to miss that. And then I came to Vermilion and it took me a while to sort of find where I fit in Vermilion. Like Kelsey said, I worked at the uh, the Bean, the coffee shop when it first opened. And now I run the Vermilion Cultural Association. And I've just sort of found that like working in the Cultural Association or even having been a barista, like I just had my finger on a different pulse. Like yeah. Vermilion kind of became my little universe. And now I get international news from a podcast as opposed to um, my desk. But I'm perfectly happy with that. <laughs> yeah, are you uh, are you kind of headphones in all day? Oh, yeah. 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 It's a, it's a little obsessive. Yeah. I have one earbud in 
at all times. And <laughs> it's it's the way of saying to staff, like, yeah, I'm still technically approachable, but I'm right. trying to listen to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I carry my phone with me wherever I go. And um, even at home sometimes, like, my husband will be in one room listening to a podcast about wrestling and I'll be in the other room listening to a podcast about the news or something. So Northern Michigan University is where your education started, right? Yes. And does that mean you're a youper? Um, you are close. So, yes, Northern Michigan University is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, hence the term youper. But I am originally from here. Not that this shows up on the podcast, but if you put your hand out like a mitten, I am from the pinky region of Michigan. <laughs> so like, I'm a troll, actually. Okay. I'm below the bridge. <laughs> below the bridge. Because I have, you know, I had an old employee who was from Michigan. Actually, I've had a couple, a couple who went to Michigan State and... Mm-hmm. Boy, they, they talk about those youpers as being a little different. Yeah, my husband's a youper. You wouldn't know it from his <laughs> accent, actually. He doesn't have a... Youpers have an accent. They do. What's it sound like? It is sounds it like northern like Minnesota. Northern Minnesota-ish. Like, oh, yeah. Hey, you know. <laughs> yes. It's a Great Lakes <laughs> um, thing. Yeah. It's a... Actually, if I'm... I could be wrong about this, but I once heard that it is the... There's a high population of Finnish people. It's actually... In terms of the Finnish diaspora around the world, there's the highest concentration of Finns outside of Finland in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And so I've heard that that accent is mostly Finnish phonemes imposed upon English words. Okay. So it's it sounds a lot like Swedish stuff, actually, like in certain regions. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about then how you got to Vermilion. Well, I – so I was living, again, in Rhode Island where um, – my then boyfriend, now husband, was doing his PhD work at the University of Rhode Island. And then... And that um, was in wrestling. His PhD was in wrestling. (laughs) He wishes. No, (laughs) it was in modernist literature. And as you can imagine, it's hard to find a job being a modernist literature professor. Uh Uh-huh. So the opening happened in in Vermilion and it, it Came at an odd time of year. Academic hiring happens on a very rigorous schedule, but his happened midsummer, which was not when it was supposed to. But Vermilion needed a modernist, and by golly, like between it was a month between when he did his Skype interview to when we were moving him to Vermilion, it was like that fast. And so, what were the doubts that you had about moving out to South Dakota? I didn't know it was going to be the Midwest. Like I didn't. Yeah, we're not really, but we call but, ourselves yeah. Midwesterners. We're like Northern Plains, right? But culturally, it's a lot more like Michigan than Rhode Island was. Okay. So really, it felt like, oh, I could do this. I could come home. I was initially scared by how few people were here. Like I thought, especially because we were here in August, and that's like when everyone goes on vacation. Like when we first showed up, and I was oh, like, yeah, where is, is everybody? Ghost town. Right? Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't understand. There's no one here. Especially because Rhode Island is so crowded. It's like a little overwhelmingly crowded, actually. So coming here was kind of a sigh of relief. I do think Vermilion's absence, you know, that ghost town thing has changed a little bit, though. The the summer I was on Thursdays, I'd be down at Dakota Brick House and Mm -hmm. they were packed. Yeah. It was like the locals are coming out now. It used to always just be this college kid thing. Yeah. There are plenty of locals. Yeah. I think having a lot more to do downtown, especially like Brickhouse, that has really uh, – just in the three years I've been here, that's yeah. changed the dynamic. Yeah. Okay. So Vermilion Cultural Association, what mm-hmm. is that? So the Vermilion Cultural Association is the a nonprofit that was founded to save the two downtown theaters. Um, so the Coyote Twin and the Vermilion Theater. Were they owned by the same company prior? Yes, they were. Okay. And they were just done. They weren't making any money. They were going to shut it they down. They had closed. Exactly. Okay. And they the that meant that there was going to be no cinema presence in downtown Vermilion. A number of concerned citizens got together and formed a nonprofit to purchase those those theaters. And they really had – they thought their mission was only, only going to be cinema. And then – 
it just kind of happened that it, it evolved a little bit and more people came onto the board and, and the mission grew. And so it's no longer just cinema. We do use the Coyote Twin. Like, obviously, that's a we run it as a fully operational theater. <laughs> it's a um, we run first or we play first run movies. We, you know, do all the things that a regular movie theater would do, but we're not owned by AMC or by Cinemark. We do all of the booking and stuff ourselves. The Vermilion Theater Instead of running it also as a third screen, the building needed a lot of work. And so we had to think about instead of running it as a third screen cinema or of the cinema, maybe we convert this to sort of a live event space. And so that's going to be a longer term project. But that is the goal. Right now, there is like a temporary movie screen in there. So we do do some special screenings, but we also have a stage. We've got some really great lighting that we got a grant for to put in. So it's a really good concert venue. The Coyote Twin Theater has what used to be a video rental store attached yeah, to it. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But of course, video rental stores have gone the way of the dinosaur. So we converted that space into a gallery. And so now that is the first Dakota Coyote Gallery, and we feature, it's a rotating art space, and so we feature a different local artist every month in that gallery. So is most of your budget from members? No, we just started our first membership program last year, and I have to revamp it. And yeah, anyway. So most of our budget comes from, well, the idea was that the Coyote Twin, as a movie theater, would support any programming we wanted to do. Turns out the movie buying business is tricky. <laughs> movie distributors and studios are making it harder for small cinemas to survive because they keep upping the costs of what it takes to bring a movie to your screen. They keep upping the percentage of the ticket take. Yeah, tickets yeah. are basically a wash, right? I mean, you yeah. make money on concessions? We make money on concessions because ticket take is for a first run movie, like say Frozen is coming out soon or we just had the Joker. The studio will take up to 65% of that ticket cost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you give me an idea of what something like Frozen 2 would cost? So we pay in advance and then... And then the ticket fee. And then the ticket. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they're incentivized, obviously, through more sales, but... Right. But on the other hand, yeah, you are too only in the concession side of things. Yeah, and we are, and and we have a limited population to work with. So yeah. one of one of my missions as executive director has been like, how do we spread the word that like Vermilion? We've really upped our game at that theater. Like we've gotten all new carpets, we've renovated the bathrooms. We're trying to make it as friendly and accessible and cool a space to be as possible because we want people to have a good movie going experience like we're going to serve you the popcorn we're not going to make you do that yourself you know it's a old timey sort of experience and we want that because we want people to come to us because otherwise we have a very limited population that we can stay in business with so we have to expand that population let's talk to kelsey so kelsey collier wise <laughs> And not Dash Miller, right? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so you're married to a Miller, but you've kept an abbreviated name or a hyphenated name. Tell me about that. It's just both of my parents. Oh, okay. My mom's a Collier and my dad's a Wise. So I've been a Collier Wise since birth, which is not common for hyphenates, but yes. I'm the real deal. It's on my birth certificate and everything. Nice. And I think uh, looking at, at your doing some research on you, you're like seven days younger than me. So we, you know, we graduated the same time from high right. school, all that kind of stuff. But you were always a Vermilionite. Is that right? For the most part. I was born in Chamberlain and I lived in Pierre for a little while and I didn't go to college at USD actually. But other than that, U of M. yeah, I went to U of M. But other than that, I've been a Vermilionite, I guess, for like almost 30 years. And then not too long ago, you went back and became a lawyer? Well, I went to law school. I didn't necessarily become a lawyer. My parents both are graduates of USD law. and 
So you um, have your your degree. Yeah, I've got my JD. JD yep. But you're not a practicing attorney. Correct. Did you ever take the bar? Was that something that didn't really nope. even interest you? I really went with the idea that I wanted to work in nonprofit, and I was looking at different ways of doing that. I applied for the MPA program and law school, and the law school gave me a better deal. And so yeah, I was like, I had always told my parents I would never go to law school, and then I had I had to kind of eat my words. <laughs> Well, you've been really involved in the in the scene in Vermilion in a long time in both government and nonprofits. So describe some of that work. So when I came back um, to Vermilion after college, uh, I actually – this is when I met you, Ben. You may not remember this, but I was working for Stephanie Herseth, and I oh. worked on her 2000 – we meet then? Jeez, yes. that's been a long time. It was it maybe at the Democratic Convention that year or something like that? It was when she was running in the special election. Oh, yes, when um, the – Janklo situation happened. Yep. Yeah. So that's when I worked for her. And then I worked after she was elected, I worked in her congressional office for a while. Yeah. Stephanie and I had a tumultuous couple months there where I th- <laughs> she took a few positions that I wasn't a big fan of. But at the same time, I sucked it up and I gave her a nominating speech that year and I have always been a big fan. I just thought on the gay marriage issue, she could have been a little more courageous. Yeah. That was hard for a lot of the people on the campaign too. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was kind of a hard time, but it was a tough time for everyone, right? I mean, Obama and everybody's changed their position on that over time. Yeah. But I think, you know, she was just taking more of a hardline stance and I think it kind of actually put Dashiell and Johnson in a little bit of a tough spot, you know? Yeah, it was, it was, it was very difficult. And, you know, I mean, I can, I feel like I can say this now because it's so many years down the road, but you know, there was quite a few LGBT people that were on the campaign staff. And I think everybody was just kind of like, oh, what? You know, and I had been out of state for a while. And so when I was in Minnesota, like I worked on the Wellstone campaign and some other stuff. It was a rough few years, I think, for everybody. Um, And so I was like, oh, this is so exciting. I'm going to work on this campaign of the super progressive female candidate. And then it wasn't quite as progressive as you know, yeah. I'd been in Minnesota too long. I had forgotten how it was. <laughs> with South Dakota progressive. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But then uh, I was working for the congressional office and I was commuting to Sioux Falls every day and it wasn't great. Um, and I got an opportunity to take a job with uh, South Dakota Public Broadcasting, which I was like, this is awesome. This is so amazing. I love public broadcasting. Yeah. So I did that for a few years. But because of that work that I had done with Stephanie, I had gotten more and more involved in kind of the South Dakota political scene and with some nonprofits and really saw that as like where my future was is I really wanted to lead a nonprofit. And so I knew that I, in order to move up, I needed probably a little bit more education. Yeah. And so decided to go back to school and lo and behold, I now run a nonprofit. So it worked out (laughs) really well. I'm trying to remember too, if on your LinkedIn, if you're a self-described activist. I am a self-described activist. Okay. So what does that mean? And what are some of those campaigns you were involved in? Well, I've always been... Causes. I don't think anybody would be surprised to know, and I think you can say this in Vermilion, that I'm kind of a lefty. Like, it's, it's no secret. Um, Which isn't that uncommon in Vermilion, right? I no. mean, in the rest of the state, maybe, but yeah, I Northeast, think can, South Dakota, and Vermilion, you can get away with it. Right. And you can you can be kind of honest about it. And, you know, I've got... I have conservative friends, and obviously the the work that I do now is is not partisan, but it's, it's not a secret that... Um, I worked a lot on kind of women's rights issues, anti-death penalty, things like that, that, you know, have always been really important to me. But <coughs> the opportunity to, when I took this job with United Way, to really focus in on quality of life just in Vermilion has been so gratifying because it's still a form of activism because it's advocating for vulnerable people and looking at not just at 
ways of meeting their needs, but also of changing the climate that they live in. But it's I feel like it's easier to talk about in some ways because it it doesn't have to be, quote unquote, political. It's yeah. all political, right? Everything's political. But, you know, feeding children for the most part shouldn't be, shouldn't be political. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the things that's gone viral in the last couple days was people talking about lunch debt and how six-year-olds are being told they can't go on field trips because they have a school lunch debt. And you think, well, that shouldn't be political, but right. it's coming at the expense of a six-year-old. Well, and that's something that we have really focused on a lot. There was a, an amazing book that came out a couple of years ago called Our Kids by Robert Putnam. He also wrote Bowling Alone. He wrote this book, Our Kids, a couple of years ago that w- it's really about inequality, the you know widening uh, equity gap between the haves and the have-nots. And he really gets into the data on what inequality does to children, not just their experience like in that moment, but also the fact that it physiologically changes their brains, mm. right? Like it has... It creates changes in their brains that will affect their mental health and their physical health and their relationships going forward. And so if you want... Which arguably could affect DNA and future generations. Exactly. I mean, that's that generational trauma. I mean, all of those things, we have more and more science that backs that up. And so if you want thriving community, like you don't want a bunch of people that have already been damaged even in childhood. And that's not to say that they can't accomplish amazing things, but they're going to have to work that much harder for it and fight that much harder for it. And so he also argues, kind of getting back to this political thing, that we should all be able to agree whether you believe that people are poor because they don't work hard enough or because, you know, you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We should all be able to agree that no child chooses their lot. They didn't ask for it. lottery. Right. They didn't ask to be here. They didn't ask to you know, who they're born to, they don't have control over their lives. And so we should all be able to unite around giving children an equal shot and an equal childhood experience. So that has been really the the thing that we as an organization have rallied around, this idea of like the equal childhood experience and making sure that all children in Vermilion have as close to the same experience, no matter where they come from as any other child. And so your job is primarily overseeing agencies or fundraising or both? Both. It was it started out mostly fundraising. You know, the traditional United Way model is that you raise a bunch of money during a campaign and then yeah. you give it out and in grants. Done for the rest of the year. Yeah. There's a season for that. Yep. Because we have really expanded our mission, um, it's become a lot more than that. And so we have done more and more of our own programming after we found out that in like 2012, we got the 2010 census numbers and discovered that Vermilion had at that point, like a 38% poverty rate, 38%. And that's federal poverty. In an educated liberal town. Right. And people are shocked. You know, yeah. they were like, what? Where is this? How is this happening? And so we started um, what was called the Clay County Poverty Task Force that brought together stakeholders to talk about like, okay, what are we going to do about this? Um, and a number of things kind of evolved from that. The biggest one being that we just opened up uh, what's called the Community Connection Center, which is a one-stop services center, essentially resource center. That has our food pantry, our free weekly meal, our diaper bank, um, Salvation Army Emergency Fund is going to be moving in, I think, later, hopefully next week. Rocks is going to be doing some other housing assistance out of there. Uh, we have a partnership now with Health Sciences where they can do screenings, blood sugar, different like metabolic things, and then do referrals. So we're trying to bring everything together so that people in need don't have to run all over town wait in line, tell their right. story 60 million times. Yeah, be sent to, uh, oh, you're at the wrong place. Oh, you forgot your ID? Well, come back tomorrow. You know, yeah. 
just to make it that much easier because those that stress and that the time and all that kind of thing that's one of the things that's the most difficult about you know finding yourself in need yeah it kind of seems like the world is engineered against you already so yeah. you know if you have these physical barriers of location and not knowing where to go and maybe not having transportation that would be yeah fixing and- that Vermilion is pretty accessible in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. it's a whole lot easier to walk from one end of Vermilion to another than in Yankton. Definitely. No offense, Yankton, but you are not pedestrian friendly. No, and no. We have a bike trail system that's pretty nice, but it's not, it's following a drainage creek, right? right? So it's not necessarily to get you from a logical place to another. It's great for recreation, recreational but trail. not necessarily for practicality. Yeah, that's so. right. But yeah, we do these big. Like on 4th Street and on Broadway, you know, we've got these five-lane massive highways. Those aren't very pedestrian-friendly. No, you guys need to go on a road diet, Yeah, call that. <laughs> yeah, you're too liberal for this town. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> so speaking of, of that, though, you've been involved in city government for a long time now. Why, why do you continue to do it? I really love Vermilion. Like, I sort of feel like how, you, how I perceive that you feel about Yankton. Yeah. I feel that way about Vermilion. Like I am really, really committed to it as a community. I am to the point where sometimes I have a little bit of trouble differentiating my identity from Vermilion. Like they're kind of all one in yeah. my mind. And so when I saw the opportunity to uh, run for city council, I was like, well, this is a way that I could really, you know, have a say in the future. And sometimes you don't always feel like government is representing, you know, like what I was sometimes seeing on council <laughs> Versus the Vermilion that I knew didn't always match up. I ran in 2012 and I'm in my second term and I'm the president of the city council. And it has been like probably one of the most gratifying things in my life. So the terms are four years? Yeah, we have four years, which is great because that's you need Gives you some time. Yeah. When you were, say, 31 running for this, were you the youngest, I imagine? I was not the youngest to ever be. There was actually a USD student. Who or a couple of USD students who have served before Drake Olson? Do you know Drake? No. He was he's a Vermilionite. He served on uh, city council. There was a guy named Nathan Adams who served, who was a student. And then after I was elected, Parker Erickson, who I think was 24 when he was elected, and he he was one of my son or my husband's former high school students. <laughs> That's like how much younger than me yeah. he was. So my. You know, getting to be like the youngest one didn't last for very long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for a long time, didn't you feel like you were the youngest at everything, every board meeting you went to? And one day that just stopped. And all of a sudden you're the like one of the respected elders in the room. I know. I used to do all this like raging against ageism. (laughs) And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's take a little break. And when we come back, let's talk about podcasts. The presenting sponsor of The Lanyard is Ben's Brewing Company. We are a brewery, taproom, and speakeasy located in Yankton, South Dakota. Our beers are on tap in several South Dakota cities. Visit us online at bensbrewing.com. Good people drink Ben's beer. Hey, Lanyard listeners, it's Brennan and Mandy from Boston Shoes to Boots. Do me a favor and think of something you will not buy generic. For instance, I will not buy generic toilet paper. First of all, ouch. Second of all, they don't tear at the seams. Brennan, what's your example? I will not buy generic mac and cheese. It's not as creamy. They say it is the same, but it's not. 
same goes for shoes. Now we all know how easy it is to buy shoes or boots from big box stores, big online sellers, or a boutique. But are you really getting the quality and customer service that your feet deserve? A proper fit and quality made shoe can go for miles for your feet and your overall health. Wearing shoes too small or large can have long-term consequences. And those shoes that are cute but make your feet hurt all night? Not worth it especially when you're covering up the blisters the next day. Our staff at Boston Shoes to Boots is trained to measure your foot length, arch, and width. Do yourself a favor and invest in your feet by getting properly fitted into a quality pair of shoes. We don't carry cheap because we care. That's right. Quality only hurts once. And trust me, we've seen plenty of scary toes that have been crammed in bad footwear for too long. Many times the effects are not reversible. So invest in your feet, take care of yourself, and go on your next adventure with a great pair of shoes from Boston Shoes to Boots, your footwear experts since 1915. Stop by and see us in the Meridian District in downtown Yankton or see us online at bostonshoestoboots.com. All right, we are back with Kelsey and Shannon of Vermilion. Hey. Yeah. Well, that first part went pretty fast. That's one way to do a podcast. <laughs> so again, let's talk about podcasts. I'd like to maybe just start off by going through some of your favorites. What do you listen to? Uh, I was actually just looking at my phone so I can give you titles. So I started off as like most people with serials. So I got oh, pretty, yeah. pretty deep in the in the true crime world. And that theme music. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Actually, the, I would argue that the best podcast theme music is um, the theme to Real Crime Profile. I don't know if you've ever listened no. to that podcast, but it's a really good – I really like that theme. Yeah. So I listen to Real Crime Profile. I listen to Undisclosed, which was sort of the, like, sequel to Serial. Of course, I listen to, like, Pod Save America. Yes. You know, all that liberal stuff. I also really love the Wondery Network puts out some really well-produced true crime podcasts. Like if you haven't listened to Dirty John or Dr. Death, those are shockingly good. Yeah. Did you listen to The Shrink Next Door? Yes, also? I did. Also just crazy story. Well, that voice is kind of weird too. The narrator's voice. It's kind of like he's almost too perky. He's very perky. For what's for going on. For the story on. he's yeah, telling. Yeah. 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 But that, I mean, he's just the reporter, right? Like that's just... Him. Um, and then I listen to some long-form interview podcasts. I, I'm spotty with some of those, but Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard or um, WTF with Mark Barron, I selectively listen to. Yeah, we My pro- favorite murder, of course. We probably talk about Armchair Expert the most on this podcast. Oh, and okay. It's because I'm a big fan. I I'm almost never miss one. And I always try to break down what makes Dax so good. And, you know, is it Monica? Is it just how <laughs> vulnerable and real he is? Yeah. Um, you know, he's always got that, oh, shucks, right. you know, you're yeah. such a handsome devil. You know, he's yeah. just such, such I, a goofball. But I think like, it is his vulnerability that, you know, he's he's so willing to talk about his flaws. <laughs> um, but I do think it's funny that he always ends up asking people like the same question. Like, yeah, are you as selfish as I or, you know, self-centered as I am or like, oh, that was deep in your childhood. Let me tell you about my childhood. Like. You know, I think I could recite Dex Shepard's childhood from heart by now, but yeah. I love him. I'm the, and he's from Michigan, so like represent, you know. But yeah, I made a list of these myself once. So, you know, some of mine in no particular order were like Serial, S-Town mm-hmm. Podcast. Oh, yeah, S-Town. Uh, Homecoming was pretty good. And now, of course, that's like a television yeah. show too. Dr. Death, The Shrink Next Door, Armchair Expert, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Yep. Conan's good because he's not like he is on TV by having the extra space. Mm-hmm. 
He's like more vulnerable and real yeah, too. He's and, more real. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. I listen to the Daily from the New York Times. I mm-hmm. don't miss it. That is so good. And love it or leave it. Revisionist mm-hmm. history with Malcolm Gladwell. Opening right. arguments. Beautiful stories from anonymous people. You ever heard that one? No, I haven't listened to that one. So Chris Gethard is a comedian, oh, and yeah. he just sets up a phone number, and whoever calls, he talks to him for okay. an hour. They're anonymous. I've heard advertisements for it, but I haven't listened to it. Um, another one I really, I really liked. It's um like a radio drama as opposed to like real talk. But Wolf three fifty nine. Mm. If you haven't listened to that, it's no. now a complete series. It's a like sci fi long form drama series. Those take so much work. They do, and it's so good. The cast is amazing. Like you really, you you don't. You don't need television, man. Like radio was where it was at and podcasts are now where it was at. It's it's all your imagination and the sound effects they do for like being in space. And so you can hear like the spaceship door open and close and like all the stuff they put into it. It's just really, really when I When fabulous. I worked for public broadcasting, I got to sit in on the live Prairie Home Companions. Oh, yeah. yeah. When they came to South Dakota. And so, you know, Fred, who does all of the sound effects or did all the sound effects for them. He's the white haired guy. He was on Mickey Mouse Club, if you ever remember that, oh. like in the 90s. He was like the only adult on Mickey Mouse Club. He was also the sound effects guy for Prairie Home Companion. And just like so cool to watch him make noises like out of nothing, you know? Yeah. We had Sarah Warner as a guest on the show. She's from Sioux Falls and she hosts the Girl in Space podcast and a few others. But Girl in Space is an audio drama and she has you know, started off as her doing it solo. But now she has like actors throughout the country and they, you know, will send her their pieces. But I think she put out like nine episodes in one season and it took a long time yeah. because getting down that script and editing and the sound effects is a lot harder than what mm-hmm. we're doing, which is just like, Talking. hey, who are you? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a dedicated, yeah, like the Bright Sessions was really good too in terms of an audio drama. But there's another just talking podcast that I really like that I think it's a very niche audience, but I just want to give a shout out to Fansplaining because it's all about fandom and fan culture and, and media properties, like the being a fan of a media property and, and how that works and how it gets covered in the media. And it's kind of esoteric, but it's really good. I would think if you were to rank level of difficulty for podcasts, you'd probably say like interview shows are the easiest mm-hmm. because if you can't talk, I can and I can mm-hmm. always ask you some default question. Second hardest would be to do like a solo podcast where you're, I'm going to talk here and I've got nobody to bounce an idea off. I've got nobody to acknowledge. I'm going to just rattle through this and try to come up with some sort of cogent point. Third hardest then would be the, anything that's like a rehearsed drama. That's just like impossible <laughs> without <laughs> major money or funding to to sustain it, you know? But I like the idea of the storytelling in that. Like yeah. that, that really draws me in as an idea because it's yeah I mean it's just like putting on a play or making a movie one of the things the cultural association does every year is this thing called the fools 48 which is a 48 hour film festival um, that they kind of sponsor and then they show all the films on the big screen and you compete and so it's like teams from all over vermilion making movies making these little movies you know and it's super fun and I get like really into that idea of like creating a story so let's talk about you guys. You have the bug. You're inspired. You listen to a lot. If you were to create something, what could it look like? Well, we've talked about this a lot. Yeah. We're really good at talking <laughs> we're about We're so good at talking, which is why we think of podcasts for us. I just do things and then figure it out. I'm oh. like the kind of person that 
throws your hat over the fence and then figures out how to get it back. So yeah, we mm. wish we need like a, we need like a third person that's more of a doer yeah, because maybe we, are, we need to be in this together. <laughs> we're, we're like both way too overthinking. We're a pair of overthinkers. But I think how this kind of came about, besides the fact that we were talking about different podcasts we were listening to, and then we had other friends that would come and sit at the coffee shop and talk about things sitting at the coffee shop so much, we ended up hearing a lot of people's stories and telling a lot of people's stories. And this idea of that would make a really good podcast, like these stories of people in Vermilion, because we have a population that turns over by 20% every single year. Yeah. Super transient. And we have people who come there from all over, probably more so than a lot of places in South Dakota, right? You know, people that have had these lives, sometimes really interesting lives before they got to Vermilion. And we know them as who they are in this one place and time, but they have all this, you know, other stuff to tell. And so we are like, wouldn't it be cool to like tell some of these stories? And then there's just some stories like in Vermilion because of all these different characters who have come and gone that are really fun stories. So you know, it was never an idea of something that would perhaps be of interest much outside of our yep. little yeah, area. We're, not, we're got, not going for national iTunes rankings. Or, You're not right, going to yeah. be able to monetize this in a big way. Yeah, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> but you might find a local sponsor. Maybe. Yeah. But like, you know, it's kind of like an, a little bit of an oral history of like this town that we think is really cool and unique and just full of really like truly fascinating people. And when you're just sitting at a coffee shop for like hours on end and watching people come and go and having a cup of coffee with them or serving them as <laughs> Shannon was doing. I got to do a lot more of the sitting. You you start, you know, hearing these stories and you're just like, man, this is that's hilarious. Wait, you used to be in the circus. Right. Yeah. Do a podcast about that. And when I when I first moved to Vermilion, and this is I, I say this with a great amount of love because I am I, I am a, a media geek and junkie and I love television and movies. So when I first moved to Vermilion, I thought like, oh, wow, I'm living in a sitcom. Like everyone here is a character. And I I even had in my head, like there's, I still have the title slide or like title image in my head of like the coffee shop owners and like me, because I was working there and like Kelsey, because she's the city council president and like our regulars from the coffee shop, you know, like all leaning on each other's shoulders and kind of a friend's kind of way out front of the bean, like on Main Street. Like it just... Martin, the British it was, guy. Yeah, right. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was it was like Parks and Rec, Parks and Rec meets Friends kind of a, a thing. Slash Northern exposure. Yeah, slash Northern exposure, <laughs> of course. But so we just um, thought, how do we how do we let those people shine? Right. Because yeah. obviously we can't produce a television show, but we could produce a podcast. And everybody has a story. I mean, you asked me about the Naval War College and probably my talking about that for five minutes was the most anybody has ever even heard about that job. Like, it's sort of like once you come to Vermilion that, like Kelsey said, you just kind of become who you are in Vermilion. You you know, the the rest of you sort of falls away. And so we wanted to highlight for those those people who have transplanted there, like, share the rest of your story or yes. what's something that we don't, we don't know about you, right? But then also, as a new someone, because Kelsey has lived here almost her whole life, but I've only lived here three years. So there's, I have a lot of questions about like, how did this happen? And, you know, I can read the little historical marker on Main Street about how Vermilion used to be down the bluff, but there was a flood and then they moved up the bluff. But like, I have many more questions about yeah. the history of Vermilion and how that could, you know, how that happened or who was important or why was this built or how did this end up here? So I... Would love answers to those questions. I think that you should do this. You oh, know? thanks. <laughs> the, the thing about Vermilion too is, I feel like it's such a company town. I mean, the University of South Dakota is yeah, such that's a, a good way of putting it. Beast there, yeah. 
And that's a good thing, but it also can be like, oh, well, if somebody's going to do a podcast, it'll come from the you. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it would be more impactful to have like locals, people who are going to be there, who aren't part of that 20% that's turning over all the time. Tell the stories or ask the questions because I just, I don't know, it feels more real. Organic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the university, obviously, like we are dependent on them and they are dependent on us and we are all interconnected in many ways. You know, like my parents met because they were students at the university and my stepdad was a professor there for 35 years. And obviously Shannon is married to a professor at the university, but it's not that's not the same as like being part of it. You know, like there is a world that exists outside of USD. Yes. And sometimes like some of the most interesting things about Vermilion are that piece outside. And I think sometimes people that come from the outside and don't really dig, you know, in the way that Shannon and a lot of other people have, like they're missing some of the richest parts of our community. Well, and they would also have an agenda of promoting positivity regarding like their role, right? For instance, they would say, hey, let's find this interesting alumni. And it all started at the U. Like there's a Mm -hmm. story for them, but that's maybe not the most authentic or cool story, sometimes those things aren't always happy. And sometimes, you know, sometimes there's legit stories that need to be told that aren't about giving credit to somebody. Well, and there's some really interesting stories that, yeah, maybe don't always reflect in, you know, the best on the university or even on the town because like every place has, you know, we, we are all multitudes, right? Like it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but that's what makes things really interesting. Oh, like for instance, you know, we talk about some of our favorite podcasts like mm-hmm. Serial and S-Town. Well, those true crime type podcasts, those would potentially turn a town upside down for a right. while, right? Yeah. And yet they are fascinating mm-hmm. and they're stories that seem to be buried and need to be told. Yeah, and there's there's definitely things in Vermilion's history that I think are worth discussing that wouldn't necessarily make everyone comfortable. Right. And, you know, that's part of the deal. Some people comfortable, some people uncomfortable, then you're probably onto something. Right. Yeah. And we we kind of had a quick conversation about that, too. Like, we're both leaders of nonprofits. Like, we are community leaders. Like, what if we say something that's a little bit mean? Right. You know? <laughs> you're going to get called into a board meeting. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're people, too. Like, as Kelsey said, like we're allowed to have, you know, opinions outside of. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the questions. Why haven't you started this? What's what are the first steps? Time. Time is a big part. We yeah. like we even were trying to just like have us. Well, so Shannon got a real job. And so she's not just like sitting at a coffee shop anymore. Like yeah. forced to listen to me. Like she can't get away. I just keep no. getting a refill. She can't escape. You know. And then I I have an office now, which I didn't before. So I'm not just like living at a coffee shop anymore. So it's difficult for us to find time together. But I will say, like, figuring out this this setup is very intimidating if this is not something that you've done before or is in your wheelhouse. And I'm not I don't think either of us would say that we are like technically inept yeah you know like i've I've done some audio editing and and video and things like that but like even just like looking at your so listeners imagine all of these (laughs) cords and microphones and he's got a soundboard with stuff that goes up and down and he presses a button and it plays music and it's it's like whoa that seems intimidating and also potentially expensive okay but it doesn't have to be right so i am the type of person that likes to jump into something all the way if I can. And so that means that my curiosity takes over and I always try to buy the next best thing and, you know, get 5% more efficiency out of something. 
doesn't need to be that. So I was on a, I was a guest on Patrick Lally's podcast in Sioux Falls recently, and he had a sound guy hooking up like an old soundboard that was rough and the microphones were rough and somebody stepped on the cord and it cut out and it stopped working. (laughs) And what did he do? He unplugged it all. He grabbed this pocket recorder, something like I'm holding up here, you know, something that's like the size of an old cell phone. Right. And he just set it on the table like a reporter would. And that's how he did his podcast. And he had a live audience. There were people walking by. There were there were distractions. There were people who walked in like, hey, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. And guess what? He had a podcast up that night and it was fine. Now, is it as high a quality? Was there, were there problems? Like, yeah, he was louder than I was. Sometimes you'd hear a buzz, all those kind of things, but it worked. Right. 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 And, and like I have a pretty elaborate setup, but like Sarah Warner, that person I was talking about that has this wildly successful audio drama, she uses like a Blue Yeti USB microphone because she doesn't want to have to deal with all this. Right. So I think you can do it as small or big as you want. Yeah. Like uh, during the break, you said something about like how your soundboard allows you to do all of the like sound effects and stuff in the moment. Whereas Kelsey and I would probably be doing something more like sound editing, editing on a laptop or adding in if we had music, like adding that in afterward. Because Which I do some of that afterwards too. Like I will go in and I'll try to pull out a few of my coughs. Yeah. I'll try to... uh, you know, if I say, um, I'm probably going to pull that out. Right. But I don't do a lot because I can do it, you know, like right in. Yeah. You know, you know I'm trying to remember what else is on this board. Too. Thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. that's yeah. seasonal. How <laughs> yeah. things just got mysterious in here. Yeah. Let's see. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We'll be right back after a quick break. Yeah, nice. just kidding. But you can do all those kind of things here and save yourself some time on the back end, which is right. kind of cool. But uh, you certainly don't need to. Did you yeah. get so? I'm noticing that like this is all the same brand. Did you get it all at once? No. What I bought when I started the podcast, basically how it went was I said I was going to start a podcast in January of 2019, and I said that I had one million cups in like October, and so I was like, oh, better figure this out. Got to wow. do it. And so then I, uh, my buddy Tony Mybaum, started giving me some suggestions, and he sent me an Amazon shopping list. And he said, this would be like if you wanted to go high end. Well, this wasn't available at this road board at that. But the uh, the microphones, the boom stands, the Zoom recorder, all those things were in his shopping cart. And I just like, add to cart, pay now. And so those were on the way. And so it's like, there's one excuse crossed off. So I've got the equipment. I've got a date. Now I need to start getting some guests. The other thing I think is like critical for people to do interview type podcasts is, and it's the same as if you're hosting like a 1 million cups where you've got a speaker is if you're trying to schedule them the week of, or even the week before, that's rough because it feels like a job and a stress that's like over your head at all times. Like I got to have a podcast next week. I don't have anyone lined up. And so then you end up settling for people who are, well, they'll say yes. Right. As opposed to like who you want. And so, what I try to do is try to get two, three in the bank so I can take a breath and be like, now who do I want to get? And it's harder for somebody to say no to me if if I say, hey, what are you doing on a Wednesday in a month? Right. As opposed to like, what are you doing tomorrow? Like, right. I will always find an excuse if somebody says that. I'll be like, ah, I got a thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, that's a good point. So Shannon and I used to do a lot of the scheduling for the coffees for what we have we call it the up next coffee yep. hour in Vermilion. It's somewhat similar to the one million cups. Yours once a month. 
Ours is every week. Oh, it is every week. Yep, it's yeah. every Wednesday. So, and th- that's totally one of the challenges is it's, I think there yeah. was to fill slots. Sometimes you were like, well, you know, that, that yearly activity is coming up again. Yeah, I exactly. bet they'll come and talk about it and say the exact same thing and bring the same PowerPoint again. And that's right. That's and you not can optimal. do that if you need slots filled. Like you can say, like, all right, we need our annual update from. Kelsey, about her agency, that's great. Mm -hmm. But I think that once you have a cushion, man, you can all of a sudden you feel like you're in control of your situation instead of like a slave to it. That's good advice. Do you have a background in journalism? I feel like you're good at like the interviewing stuff. Did you um, do that I'm okay at it, but I got to get a lot better. So mm. I have, uh, so I worked at South Dakota Magazine for three, four years. Yeah, okay. And then prior to that, I owned a small newspaper in Fort Collins. Then I worked for Tempest Magazine. Oh, that's right. I knew that. Yeah. And then, you know, then before that, it was like high school newspaper type stuff. Yeah. I had done a radio show at WNEX for about nine, 10 months. It was a daily show. It was in afternoon like argument left versus right type show so i have some background in that kind of stuff but where i'm bad at and what i want to get better at is like what we're doing right now i'm very comfortable with i feel like we could jam Mm -hmm. and keep going and we could talk for another hour but when i have like a okay shannon you went to school here then your job was this Mm -hmm. then how did you get to south dakota that's fine but what we we rarely get those like aha moments right because we're following a bullet Right. You're not like that Terry Gross. I was just going to say, yeah, like Terry Gross somehow asks those questions, but also gets to the like, ooh. Yes. Howard Stern is is the master at it. I don't know how he does it, but I think that some of it is he gets his guests so comfortable and so relaxed. So he puts so much time and effort into like what the studio looks like and feels Mm -hmm. like and what the experience is that they they forget that they're like on the radio. Right. Mm -hmm. And that I'm not good at yet. Like I'm very much uh so then what happened? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he he's much more of like, you said something, I'm gonna stop and we're just gonna dive deep into that topic for five minutes. You right. Know? So in the moment is probably where I'd like to get more than bullet points. Yeah. yeah. Well I'm sure that's a lot of that's experience, right? Yeah, and I think that's probably true of everything too, is we need to just iterate more. So I think yeah. I know some people who've created podcasts and they're on you know, after a year they're on like number eight. Right. Okay. That's cool. But you haven't allowed your audience enough time to get to know you and you haven't gotten like great at it yet because you've only put out eight. Right. Well, this is number 45 for me. Jeez. So I'm not saying I'm great, but I'm better than I was at eight, you know? Right. Because I've had more time to practice and think about it. Being prolific is hard. I was, I had a blog for a while. Yeah. I don't know if you knew, but it was voted top political blog in South Dakota one year in 2011. <laughs> South Dakota War College? Just kidding. <laughs> yes. I am actually Pat Powers. Secrets out. No, it was Dakota Women. It was like a, it was a group of us. And like one day we were like, oh my gosh, there are four of us and we, our output compared to Corey Heidelberger, yeah. like we were putting out like a tenth Oh, of yeah. what he is an individual person at at the time a full-time teacher was putting out. He could write 5000 words like nobody's business. No, and I was just like, geez, like where does he find the energy? I don't know. Yeah, I think it overtakes you at some point like if you dive in and iterate enough. I don't know. I like for me the I work well with deadlines and challenges, so I think the idea that I was going to put out 52 episodes in a year seemed low odds. So I was like, that's why it's going to happen, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas if I would have done a monthly, I I might not be doing this still. Right. Hmm. I don't know. Do you hope that this will be like a 
community studio at some point? Because that's another thing that I have thought about because I know there's some, no. especially smaller towns. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, early on, again, I was getting approached a lot f- to help people with their podcasts and, and I was happy to do it a little bit, but it's just the scheduling's tough. So I created this space as I don't have to worry about anybody else's time but mine. And it's set up the way I want it. My board's in the spot I left it. Right. Like, I like that. And I don't have a lot of money, but I have enough that I can control that. Right. (laughs) You know? And you can, like, wander over from work when you feel like Right, right. And that's the same thing. Like, my camera is set up with lights out there, and I don't have to tear it down and worry about, like, oh, some other group's coming in here in an hour. Better hide couple thousand dollars worth of equipment, you know? Yeah. So probably not. How do you, um, where do you host your podcast from? I feel like I should know that. I'm sorry, but. Yeah. So there's a lot of options there. I use Anchor and Anchor is one of those platforms, by the way, that's free and you could record with your cell phone. So Ben Brunick here in town hosts, it's, I think it's called the Woodworkers Podcast. Hmm. He's a amazing, amazing craftsman woodworker. He, I don't know what his Instagram followers are, but it's tens of thousands. And what he did is he found his inspirations in the business. And he's like, want to create a podcast with me? And they record their whole thing on their iPhones remotely through the Anchor app. And then what's cool about Anchor is it distributes it automatically to Apple, Google, every other platform. So there's a few that it doesn't automatically go to like Podbean and, but you can manually submit to them. And once it picks up your feed, it always will. So I use Anchor. They will give you uh, some low budget sponsors Mm -hmm. that you'd have to generate thousands and thousands of listens before you'd make anything. But more importantly is that they host your stuff for free. Yeah, I was just looking like... Send it to everywhere. Of the ones I've looked for, this one is 100% free hosting and distribution with no storage limits, which is... That was a hard thing to find in the other ones I was looking for, so... Yeah, there probably are better tools like Libsyn and Podbean out there, but they are going to cost you some money. And Anchor's pretty good. Cool. They're now owned by Spotify, too, so they've got some funding to keep improving, supposedly. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> supposedly. Sometimes when companies buy little companies, they stifle right. them, too. R.E.P. Vine. Oh, yeah. yeah. Were and you a Vine? They remember Vines? No, and I like, didn't even know that Vines were until they weren't. We had a pro- Oh, really? <laughs> well, now it's TikTok, Kelsey. Get on it. Yeah, I've heard. <laughs> we had a top Vine user here in Yankton, Travis Potts. He had like 300,000 followers or oh something. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah, I've got a nine-year-old, so I get to hear a lot about um, TikTok and YouTubers and all the top YouTubers and what they're doing, which is mostly playing like Roblox and Minecraft and then narrating it. Oh, man. That's Kids where are, the money is. They're yeah, so narrating ad- what you're doing on your screen. So yeah. addicted to unboxing, too. My kids yeah. love watching toys play with toys on a screen rather than playing with their own toys. Right. Wow. I guess it's cheaper. I was <laughs> like, if, it, if you're happier watching... <laughs> Except that they up. do now when you go to like a Target, can I get a Shopkins? Because they know all the names now. Right. They, like, right. I want a blind bag. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. I don't know what either of those things are. I don't yeah. have children. Oh, you don't? <laughs> it's okay. I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Be thankful for your cats who don't watch them boxing videos. <laughs> yeah. They just want to go in the basement all the time. <laughs> you have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and that YouTube thing, it's, they're addicted and I try to stop it, but sometimes it's just Who easy. knew that YouTube, when it came out, was going to be, like, like monetized by children? Yeah. You know, oh, like, yeah. Who, like yeah. that Ryan, um, he's, like, an 11-year-old. He's the most, he's the richest kid on there. Right. It's just crazy. Richest anyone on there, I should say. Yeah, it's, it is very weird. And sometimes I get worried, but on the other hand, I think about, like, just how much time I sat 
just like passively watching TV. Oh yeah, when I was right. growing up, just like hours and hours. Saved by the Bell and MacGyver and just right. junk. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, I mean like terrible stuff, and it you know it was way more often on like during dinner or you'd go over to somebody's house and it would just be on constantly. And in the end, I don't. I think that probably kids are getting a little bit less screen time overall than like we did. Yeah, I think I think there's probably a little bit less repetition because how many times did I play Qbert or something? It was mm-hmm. just like repeat the whole thing over right. and over and over. At least now if they're playing Minecraft or something, it's like improving and changing. And yeah, there's <laughs> and it's not passive; like they're doing something yeah. with it. So I'm not I'm not a big like oh kids these days, but I do get a little sick of the YouTubers. So one more podcast tip for you. I think that, you know, you talk about this equipment and you talk about, well, we were just talking about YouTube. If you try to create a setup that's going to be a chore to use, mm-hmm. you're not going to yeah. do it. So whatever you need to do to get the minimum level of comfort for where it's a joy for you to want to do something, then I think you'll do it. So for me, the joy is that this this board has lights and that when I push buttons, things happen. Like... I like that. That makes like me feel good. Too. And I like clean sound. So I like that. That makes me excited to do the next episode. If I had to use this old system anymore and hear the old buzz and other things and like, oh, man, did the card work or what, how's that setting change? I just probably wouldn't be doing this forever. I feel like I could do this forever by having the right equipment for me. It doesn't need you have to spend money, but I think you want the minimum to make you like, this is fun. Not like... This is going to suck. Yeah. When I'm done, I have to edit this and it's going to take me hour and a half to edit it. And blah, blah, blah. you know, that's not fun. No, that makes a lot of sense. So the next important thing about creating a podcast is you got to have the stuff that goes with it. So when we finish up today, we're going to go do a photo. Oh. And then we'll put that on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. And, oh, you know, right. so like oh, from one piece media. of content, I think, you know, you've got 20 pieces of content. So you do more than one podcast though, right? Or I, you were? Did a Game of Thrones one right. for just like this last season. Right. And I had ideas that I was going to do more. Like I was maybe even going to do a podcast network and have a couple. And then back to that, what's the minimum for this to be fun? Mm-hmm. This is what's fun. And if it was more than that, it would have, to me, started to feel like a job. So Yeah. Right. And you actually have a job. So I, I, I need to sell beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's your full-time job? Yeah. Yeah. Beer is yep. Beer's my baby. Maybe if there was more beer here, it would be even more fun. I'm just saying. We could do that. I've I, I've thought about it. We should probably get a kegerator over here at least to have the Ben's brews, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, we are right across the street, so that's not that far to get it. But And we're recording this well after five. Definitely not in the middle of the day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of which, I got to go get my kids from daycare. Yeah. One of those late night daycares. I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, thanks so much for the conversation and let's keep having it. I hope to subscribe to your podcast, whatever it is and Someday. whenever it comes. So thank you for all the advice. Yes, this has thank been you. really awesome. I learned a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Kelsey and Shannon, for sharing your story, too. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Lanyard. That's right.